Good morning and welcome to New Hope. This is a part of service where we continue our worship to our Lord with um, our tithes and offerings. You know, when I was a little kid, about six, maybe seven years old, I would go to Grandma's house. And when Mom and Dad get there, um, as kids, you just go off and play. But eventually, Grandma would find me and give me a couple of bucks to go buy some toys at the store across the street. And so as I would take that money and go do as she says, and playing, Mom and Dad would go, where did you get that? Oh, Grandma gave me money to go buy it. And they would get into this argument. But Grandma would consistently do that all the time. Just like my wife. When the kids come over to our house, the grandkids, when they leave, they got to take something home. And we always get in an argument with our, with our um, adult children. But what it is, is it's a joy to see your gifts being used to extend life, bring a joy to the face. And it's kind of like us giving our tithes and offerings to the church to see how the body of Christ will use it to reach the community, to go out and reach one relationship at a time and save the life of a child or an adult to introduce, to introduce them to Jesus. And it, and it just, it's a wonderful thing. And I and my wife, we're in agreement to give tithes and offerings. But I think we'd also, if somebody came up against us to come against it, we'd fight for it. We believe in it that much. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. Lord, I just thank you for this time to continue worshiping you, to give you this time of our tithes and offerings, and to see how you use our gifts to reach others in our community, in our schools, uh, our friends. And uh, I just thank you for that opportunity. Amen. Now join me as we watch this video. Marsha, Pastor Marsha is going to be speaking on a spirit of excellence. And we got a video that's, uh, well, you'll see how these guys perfect the, the skills. Wouldn't it be so good if we captured all the moments we did things like that? Because I'm sure there are things like that that we've done, just never had film around. Anyway, I think we all want to do things well. Sometimes we want to do things with perfection, but there is a difference between perfection and excellence. Doing things with perfection means we don't make any mistakes. Doing things with excellence means doing the best that you can with what you have. And what we want to learn is to develop a spirit of excellence. That's what Pastor Marsha is going to be talking about with us this morning. So I would pray that you would open your hearts to really think through how we can all develop a spirit of excellence. So let's welcome up Pastor Marsha as she comes and shares. Well, good morning. So I think Pastor Sheldon's right that when we do those type of things, we want people to see. And um, there are times when I'm in the fellowship hall and I've got my trash and then I'll walk up to the trash can, just kind of stand and there's a, and then when I make it, I'm like, yeah. And then I realize, hey, did you see that? Did you? And I'll find people, I'll look them in the eye. Did you see that? But then if I miss, I just kind of like, I don't look for anybody to see if they notice. I hope they didn't. I just kind of walk over sheepishly, pick it up, put it in the trash. But that's how we are with the things that we do. We never celebrate our failures. We never celebrate when we do things not quite right. But it's in those moments that we actually get to learn. And it's in those moments where we get to develop a spirit of excellence. And that's what we're going to talk about today. 
So several years ago, you know, we started talking about doing small groups and things at the church. And my husband and I started talking about, hey, it'd be cool, like in the old days, to do a small group at our house. You know, open up the house and invite people. And we started thinking about it. And then we said the word, but. But our house is in process. It's a fixer-upper, so it's being fixed up. And it's quite, not quite done yet. But... Our living room doesn't have quite enough light. But I like it when the grandkids come over, and with 10 of them, that means they leave a mess behind, so the house is messy. But our schedule is just too busy. And so we said, but it's not the perfect time. So let's just wait until the perfect time. Well, you know how that goes, right? There is no perfect time. It never, ever gets to where the house is clean or the projects are done. It's never, ever perfect. Well, a few months ago, well, a few weeks ago, the Saturday morning group that I'm part of um, took a break in the summer. And it's because, you know, we had the summer camps here, so they couldn't meet, and then people's schedules and all that. And so during the downtime, I invited a couple of women to join me in going through a book and doing a little study. Well, some of us come from Pune, some come from Hilo, some come from the Hamakua Coast. So we said, hey, let's meet at one of the local coffee shops and we'll do the study there. Well, what happened was we got to this coffee shop and the bandwidth at the coffee shop, because everybody goes to use the Wi-Fi, wasn't enough to watch the video. It kept buffering. And then we also discovered we couldn't really hear each other. So then we decided, well, where can we go that's central? So we decided, well, let's use my house. You know the one without the projects that are undone? The one that's sometimes messy because the kids always come over. The one that doesn't have enough light in the living room. That house. And guess what? It's working perfectly. And sometimes we think that it's not going to be well. It's not going to be perfect. And it never, ever comes. Ever. But when you're pressed into time and you get to use it, it's like, what was I waiting for? Well, author and pastor Craig Rochelle says, perfection is the enemy of progress. And what he means is when we're trying to be perfect, we never, ever move. We just stay in the same thing, doing it over and over and getting better and better and better and better and never, ever accomplishing anything. We can't move forward or make progress if we keep doing the same things over and over, trying to get it perfected. And we justify our desire for things to be just right or perfect by saying that we're striving for a spirit of excellence because God deserves our very best. And it's true. God does deserve our best. But did you know that trying to be perfect and trying to have it just right stops us from giving God our best. We mistake being perfect with a spirit of excellence, and then we further the mistake by believing that perfection is what God is looking for. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do things with excellence, but we can't confuse that desire for excellence with the desire for perfection. Perfection is doing things without mistakes or errors. A spirit of excellence is doing the best you can with what you have. In his blog, the view inside of me, speaker and life coach, Mark Wynn, difference between perfection and excellence. And he says this, perfectionism 
is focused on doing the thing right. It's how things appear and how others think about it. But excellence is about doing the right thing. It's focused on the reason for a task and the results in order for it to be a success and how true that is. See, every reason that Tom and I had for not moving forward with a small group in our house was based on what others might think of our house and by default, what they would think of us. Perfection defined our home as cluttered, unfinished, and sometimes messy. And if you've ever been to my house, that's actually true. However, what is equally true is that my house is lived in, it's comfortable, and it's homey. And which one do you think is most conducive to doing a small group? See, the quest for perfection is slowing down the process of serving God and his people by causing us to think that our home wasn't ready. And each of us, if we're not careful, can make the very same mistake and allow the desire for perfection to hinder our growth. It'll prevent us from serving God, and it'll stop our forward motion in the kingdom of God. Yet if we'll do three things, we can stop short of perfectionism and instead develop a spirit of excellence. So you can take out your notes and open your app if you're going to take notes. Um, we're going to talk today about how to develop a spirit of excellence. And in doing that, I want to look at a story that Jesus told his followers and use that to help us get comfortable with stopping short of being perfect so that we can give God our best. So if you've got your Bibles or your app, you can open up to um, Matthew chapter 25. Um, if you've got your app, you can manipulate, maneuver there. And we're going to read, and it's the um, story of the talents. And I think we've all heard it before. And it starts off like this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold, and I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not planted, scattered? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, 
I would have received it back with interest. See, the two servants went out and they knew what they were capable of doing. They understood their gifts. They went out and based on their ability, they invested the money and they grew it. And they were praised for that. And I think we can learn from them and we should. But the third servant, he intrigues me. See, I was reading like, okay, why would he do that? He has this perception. He thinks that his master is um, mean. He thinks that he scatters seed and he sows where he doesn't scatter. He believes him to be a hard man with very high expectations. And so he responds in fear and he hides the money. And he believed that it was safer to not do anything with that money than to risk losing it. And I can almost hear him telling himself, if I can't do enough, it's better not to do it. Now, doesn't that sound just like perfection? And that attitude prevents us from serving and from growing. The third servant didn't think he could measure up to what he perceived to be his master's expectations, so he did nothing. He hid the money, and there's no growth. The money didn't gain interest, but sadder still, the servant didn't learn or expand his capabilities. And what amazes me in the story is that this third servant didn't even understand that his master knew him. The master knew his abilities well, and he entrusted his servant only with what he could do. He didn't expect him to do the same thing as the other two servants, but he did expect him to do something. In fact, the master said to him, at the minimum, why didn't you at least invest the money with the bankers so I would have at least had the interest? He didn't have to double the money. He just needed to do something. And as we grow and we learn to develop a spirit of excellence, we need to learn the same lesson. We don't have to start big. We don't have to do everything, but we have to do something. And if you're taking notes, or you're filling in your app, you can write in, do one thing. Just do one thing. In the story that Jesus told, he didn't tell the other two servants um, what to do with the money. He just gave it to them. He simply said that the servants immediately went out and put the money to work. They knew what they were able to do, and then they went out and did it. They didn't wait for better timing. They didn't do more research. Um, they didn't wait for better conditions. They immediately went out and they put the money to work. They knew what they were capable of doing and they went out and did it. One of the greatest lessons we can learn from this story is that excellence relies on what God gives us while perfection relies on our abilities. See, the other two servants didn't waste any time thinking about the master's expectations. They simply went out and did what they knew how to do, and it was good enough. They operated quickly and efficiently in their gifts. Jesus said the man who received five bags went out at once and put his money to work. Likewise, the one with two bags. Both increased the amount of money they brought to the master, and though they both brought in different amounts, they both heard the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. However, the third servant was paralyzed by not being able to do good enough, and so he chose to do nothing with his money. 
He thought about his perception of what the master would want or expect, and then he thought he couldn't meet expectations, so he did nothing. And he ended up being chastised for his action, and what he had was taken from him. Because he couldn't be perfect, he didn't act. And because he didn't act, he was chastised. And this chastisement reinforced the lie that he is not good enough. Not good enough has always been the lie that the enemy uses to immobilize us. John, who was one of the followers of Jesus, wrote in a letter to seven churches this description of the, the enemy. He says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. The enemy is the accuser, and he will accuse you day in and day out, not good enough. And have you believed his lies? Do you think that you're not good enough? That you're not good enough to share what God has done in your life? That you're not good enough to use your gifts to accomplish God's goal or forward his kingdom? You're not good enough to hang with the leaders? You're not good enough to serve God? Not one of those beliefs are true. None of them. That's not how God sees you. You're more than good enough. In fact, you are specifically created and designed by God to accomplish his purposes. Paul wrote in the book, in the letter to the Ephesians, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We're God's masterpiece. Imagine that. The enemy says, you're not good enough, and God says, you're my masterpiece. Paul also wrote, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. We don't earn the gift. It's given to us through the generosity of Christ. And whether we think we're good enough or not is not the issue, and it should not prevent us from serving in the kingdom of God. We're created by our Father in heaven with specific giftings and talents to be used to accomplish his purpose. And we choose whether we're going to use them to God's glory or not. Now, in the story that Jesus told, the master didn't tell his servants what to do with the money. He let them decide. And God does the very same thing with us. We're each created with a unique set of gifts and talents, specifically given to us by God to be used to advance the kingdom of God. And he expects us, he expects us to make the most of what he's given us. In his book, What on Earth Am I Here For? Rick Warren says that our gifts are sovereignly determined by God for his purpose. And we get to decide if we're going to be like the two servants who immediately went out and put the money to work and gained interest, or if we're going to allow the quest for perfection to sideline us and keep our gifts buried, hidden, and unfruitful. You know, when this service, when this series started a couple weeks ago, Pastor Marcus Ellington was up here, and he gave the story and he used a puzzle as an example. And then last week, Pastor Sheldon came up and he used a puzzle as an example. So I thought, hey, I should continue. So I'm going to tell you my puzzle story. So my mom lived with us a long time ago, about 20, 30 years ago, and my kids were in school. 
And she loved to do puzzles. And she'd do those ones that are like 1,500 to 3,000, and they're like tiny, tiny pieces. And she'd sit there and she'd do them. And my kids were like elementary to junior high at the time. And so they would sit at the table with Grandma, and they would do the puzzles with her. And they'd work so hard in putting every one of those pieces in. Well, my mom was home all day, and the kids were off in school. So every time they did a puzzle, mom finished the puzzle. They'd come home from school, and the puzzle would be done. And they never had the satisfaction of finishing the puzzle, pe- the puzzles. And it's very, that's kind of like you're working on it, and you want to put the piece in and all that, and you come home, and it's done. It's kind of like demotivating. So one day, took the kids to school. The, you know, they had been working on the puzzle with Grandma. There's like half of it still to be done. And I'm thinking, she's going to finish it while they're at school. Drop them off. Go about our day. Then we come home. And... I came in, and my mom's sitting on the couch, and I see the puzzle on the table, and there's like three pieces missing. So I think, wow. She heard the kids grumbling about not being able to put in the final pieces, so she left it for them. So the kids ran in the room, and they're putting their backpacks away, and my mom goes, Marsha May, which is what she calls me. Not Nishi May, but Marsha May. Whenever she was frustrated, Marsha May. And I knew, oh boy, I'm going to hear it. Something's wrong. And she goes, you know, I cannot find three pieces to my puzzle. She goes, I looked everywhere. I looked on the chair. I even swept. I looked in the box. No more of the pieces. You know, Mark, I think the dog ate them. So I'm like, oh. And I know it's frustrating, right? Because you can't, you got the thing. It's right there. It's undone. Well, my daughter, Kristen, jumps up, runs in the room. I don't think anything of it. She comes back out with three puzzle pieces. (laughs) She had taken the pieces to school to make sure that she got to put them in. Now, as long as those pieces were in her backpack, they were not fulfilling their purpose, and there was great dissatisfaction. But the minute she put the puzzle pieces into the puzzle, they fulfilled their purpose. The puzzle was done, and everybody was happy. Now, in the same way, when we're not using our gifts, we're not using our talents, our personality, or energy to advance the kingdom of God the way he intended it, then our, pu- then our gifts are just like those puzzle pieces that was tucked away in my daughter's backpack. They're, unhi- they're hidden, they're unuseful, they're unfruitful, and they didn't serve a purpose. And this is what happened with the third servant in Jesus' story. He buried his money rather than invest it because he didn't believe that he could live up to the expectation of his master. And when the first two returned their money to the master, saying, you entrusted us with. And both servants understood that what the master gave them his money before they left, they received a trust. It wasn't their money, but it was something that was in their care that they needed to do something with. The third servant didn't receive the money as a trust. He didn't take responsibility for it. And in return to his master, he said, here's what belongs to you. The first two servants were free to act because they viewed the money they received as a trust, as something to be used, as something that they were to share. But the third servant saw the money as belonging to his master, and his only responsibility was safekeeping what he had received. And because the first two felt the weight and responsibility for what they had been entrusted with, they acted. But the third servant didn't feel the responsibility for anything. 
except keeping it safe. And he buried the money. And like the servants, the gifts and talents that God has given us are entrusted to be used for his purpose. They're not to be stuck away, buried, and unfruitful. They're to be used and put on display to advance the kingdom of God. And if you're filling in your notes, you can write for number two. Only I am responsible for what I do with my gifts. Just me. I am the one who decides what I do with the gifts that God has given me. The Apostle Paul said to his young protege, Timothy, For this reason I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God, which is in, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. See, Paul may have prayed for Timothy, but it was up to Timothy to use his gifts and grow them. And that was true of the servants in Jesus' story. And it's very true of us. See, remember in the story, each servant was not given an equal amount of money. Each one was given an amount in proportion to what they could handle. And like the master in Jesus' story, God the Father gives us gifts according to how he created us. I can't sing. You'll never see me up here. But I can talk to people. So you'll see me at the Info Center or at the Resource Center. There are people up here who can play drums and guitar. They're good at it. And when they're playing, they lead us into worship, and they make us stand before God. They're using the gifts that God gave them. That's their gifts. They're responsible for that. Each one of us sitting here today, we have a set of gifts. And unless you use them, none of us know what they are. You're responsible for what you're going to do with it. Paul reminded those in the church of Rome, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Our gifts and talents come from God to be used for his purpose. He gives us gifts and abilities according to his plans and his purpose. We choose how we receive them. And we choose what we're going to do with them. Do we use them or do we bury them? And there's three ways that we can respond. See, we can respond like the first two servants. We can use the gifts that God's given us for what they were intended for, which is the advancement of his kingdom. Or we can be like the third servant. We can hide the gifts. We can waste not just the gift by not growing, by not increasing, but we can leave our gifts unused, untapped, and wasted. But there's a third option. We can also choose to reject or resent the gifts God gave us. And I believe the third servant did that also. See, remember the master gave each servant a bag of money according to their ability. And sometimes when I read that story, I kind of wonder, what was going on in his mind? What was he thinking? What was he feeling? And I wonder if he felt slighted by, given, by being given less. I wonder if he looked at the other two and said, how come they got that and I only got this? Well, you know what? I'm going to show my master he should have trusted me. And I'm not going to lose this. I'm going to save it and I'm going to keep it and I'm going to give it back to him the way he gave it to me because I'm going to prove to him that he was wrong in his judgment. 
But in grumbling about that gift, what he did was waste an opportunity. He wasted an opportunity to grow in his capability. He wasted an opportunity to crush the lie that he's not good enough. He wasted an opportunity to break free of perfection and develop a spirit of excellence. And he wasted an opportunity to squash grumbling, complaining, and hindering his growth. In his letter to the Roman church, Paul challenged them and us to silence a complaining attitude that paralyzes us from moving forward. He says, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special services and some for common use? See, Paul's asking the Roman church, who are we to grumble at God about the purpose he called us to or the gift that he's given us? Aren't those his gifts to distribute just the way he wants? And when we waste time comparing our purpose against another person's, it keeps us from developing a spirit of excellence. And it causes our focus to shift off of what God calls us to do and onto the calling and the gifts of others. Now, I believe that one of the reasons that the Apostle Paul did so well in his calling and his ministry was that he wasn't distracted by what anybody else was accomplishing or doing in their ministry. He was content with fulfilling the calling on his own life. In a letter to the church in Galatia, he wrote this, For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. See, Paul didn't grumble, how come I'm only reaching these people and Peter's reaching this? He celebrated what was happening in Peter's ministry. He wasn't threatened by Peter's assignment or the fruit that Peter was bearing. He understood and he proclaimed that it was God at work in both ministries. And Paul was so busy using the gift that God gave him to accomplish the call that God called him for that he didn't waste time or energy wondering about someone else. He simply stayed true to his call and to his assignment. English author and pre preacher John Bunyan echoes Paul when he said, if my life is fruitless, it doesn't matter who praises me. And if my life is fruitful, it doesn't matter who criticizes me. See, it doesn't matter about others. What only matters is me. Like I said, I have 10 grandkids and you know, I, I don't know how this happened. When my first granddaughter turned five, she wanted to go ice skating. So there was only one grandchild. So we said, hey, let's take her to Honolulu to the ice skating rink and skate. The second year, my second grandson, he turned five. My daughter says, you know, last year when you took Jewel to skate at the skating rink, that's kind of cool. So I think I'm going to take Micah to the zoo. So I said, okay, well, how about if we jump on and we go with you? The third year, my third grandchild turned five, and the two older ones say to the third one, hey, when you turn five, Grandma and Grandpa take you to Honolulu. <laughs> Which is not what we planned, but that's exactly what's been happening ever since. So my nine-year-old granddaughter, for her fifth birthday, I have created a monster who loves Mickey Mouse and Minnie and all that. And Alani had opened, so I said, hey, let's take her to Alani and have the character breakfast. And then when we came back, I made her, you know, you can send away to one of those um, Photoshops and you can make a book. 
And, you know, I used to be a preschool teacher or an assistant in children's ministry, so I'd make a book. So I made a book, and it's got the pictures of the trip. Well, my youngest granddaughter is five now, well, turning five. And so she's at that age where she goes to the bookcase, and she's always pulling off books, and she pulls off the Olani book. And so she'll go through, and she'll go, is that Mickey with Peyton? Yeah. Is that Minnie with Peyton? Yeah. Is that Goofy with Peyton? Yeah. Who's that with Peyton? Oh, that's Chip. Well, what about me? How come you didn't take me? So, well, you weren't born? We haven't told her her trip was right around the corner because I created another monster who loves Mickey. And she doesn't know that we're planning that trip. She also doesn't know that we know her well. She's a water baby. So besides getting to go eat with Mickey, we're going to take her to the water park. So every time she looks at the book and she says, what about me? Tom and I just kind of laugh, shake our heads, and we think she has no idea. She has absolutely no idea what's around the corner. And I wonder if God responds to us the same way when we don't appreciate or understand his gifts. I wonder if when we go, how come they got that? How come they can do that and I want to do that? How come I have to do this? And I wonder if God looks at us and he shakes his head and he goes, you have no idea what's around the corner. See, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God has plans and he has a purpose that we have no idea of. And instead of looking at other people and wondering why, we get to look at him and say, I don't know. I have no idea what's around the corner, but I trust you. And this gift you gave me is to be used to advance your kingdom, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. So as we develop an excellent spirit, we get to trust that God's plans for us are much greater than we can dream. They're much greater than we can imagine. And finally, and you can write this in, walk in love. Walk in love. There's a distinct difference between perfection and an excellent spirit. Excellence does the best with what I have. Perfection doesn't allow room for mistakes. It takes us out of the moment that we're in, and it keeps us from appreciating others because we're always busy looking for how to improve or how to do better. And it's very hard to be perfect and loving at the same time. It's hard to love when everything has to be just right and you keep looking for how to make it better, how to improve, excuse me, how to improve. Or why was that mistake made? Or why is this here? It's hard to be loving. Paul alluded to that when he wrote to the church in Corinth. Desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. See, we can want more than we have. We can ask for more visible or what we consider to be better gifts. We can desire opportunities to prove ourselves. We can want everything to be perfect and set up just right. But without love, it's all lacking. Paul knew that. And he wrote, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that that I may boast, but do not have love, I 
gain nothing. The biggest difference between a spirit of excellence and being perfect is love. Perfection is about the task, how good it looks, and if others are impressed. An excellent spirit is about purpose and the impact on the hearts and the lives of others. And it's about the bigger picture, the one that God sees. Perfection loves the praises of people, while an excellent spirit loves people. Psychologist and author Harriet Breaker is often quoted as saying, striving for excellence motivates you. Striving for perfection is demoralizing. And anyone can reach excellence because it's about growing in our abilities and being a blessing to others and encouraging them in their growth. But perfection says we have to be mistake-free. And then we miss out on enjoying life. You know, I was talking about my grandkids a lot. Sorry, that's just what grandmas do. But the two youngest ones love to spend the night at my house. And every time they spend the night at my house, I know exactly what's going to happen. We're going to wake up the next morning and we're going to have pancakes for breakfast. And I'm going to tell you right now, at their ages, it's a lot easier for me to make the pancakes myself. But they always want to get involved. They want to get, and they want to pour the milk and the, everything else. And then we end up with biscuit all over the place. We end up with eggshells in the pancakes. We end up, sometimes it's the pancake too thick, sometimes it's a little bit too thin. It just ends up a mess. And every time they come over and ask, can I help make pancakes? I have a decision to make. I can go for fast and easy, no mess. Or I can go for a mess. But let me tell you which one they're going to remember. See, they'll remember spending the night at Grandma's house, but they won't ever remember making pancakes if I go for no mess. Or they can remember the adventure and having to pick shells out of the, pa the batter or crunching when you eat. <laughs> they'll remember that. And I have a choice. I can opt for cleanliness and do it myself or I can opt for a memory. And every single time, I go with the memory. And the same is true for each one of us in our walk with Jesus. While we wait for better timing, circumstances, and ability, God looks for us to just do one thing. And we can let a desire to be perfect hinder us from moving forward, or we can allow it to put obstacles between us and obeying God. We can choose adventure and faith. We can trust that God knows exactly what he's doing and believe that the gift he placed in us is enough. And we can move forward and we can advance his kingdom. And we can strive for that excellence and put perfection on the side. You can put away your notes and your um, bullet, um, Bibles. And I want to read um, from this. Bob Goff wrote a book a few years back. And it's about walking in love. And it's called Love Does. And it's got a lot of different stories and adventures. But I want to share about him when he was playing baseball. And he was a kid. And he says this. When I was in elementary school, I played little league baseball. Now, I wasn't much of a sports guy. I suppose I was okay, except for the catching and throwing and hitting aspects of the game. I had a uniform, a cap, a glove, and baseball cards in the spokes of my bicycle. So the coach let me play on the team, and he put me out in right field, where very little happens. Now, when you're that young, nobody hits the ball in right field. I was bigger than any of the other guys on the team, so everybody assumed I could hit. The fact was, I couldn't. 
Because I was such a big guy, I almost covered the plate. I wasn't afraid of the ball, and the pitchers weren't very accurate. So part of our team's strategy was to send me to the plate to get, behind, to get beamed by a pitch or two in the inning. In baseball, when you get hit, you get sent to first base, and you don't even need to swing the bat. I think baseball is the only game where all you need to do is take a ball in the face and you win. My sad, sad batting average was the result of this one bad fundamental. Every time I swung the bat, I closed my eyes. It was as if my eyes and my arms were connected somehow. And all season long, the only way I got on base was by getting hit. By the end of the season, I had 17 bone-deep bruises and a concussion. And somehow, our team made it to the playoffs. I had very little to do with it, of course, apart from the bruises and a few loose teeth. Regardless, we were in. In the first playoff game, it was tied in the top of the fifth inning, and it was my turn to bat. I could hear the stands groan at the sight of the big kid who couldn't hit the ball walking up to the plate. And I heard a chant starting from our own bleachers, hit him, hit him, hit him, hoping I'd get nailed again by the pitcher and take a base. And I tried to put aside the possibility that my dad might be leading the chant. The pitcher missed me with the first couple of tosses, and suddenly I had two strikes. I wanted to end my season with a blaze of glory, so I clenched my teeth, tightened my grip, and decided to go down swinging. The last pitch came soaring from the mound. I closed my eyes and I swung as hard as I could. And then I heard the dull foot and felt a new sensation in my hands. Somehow, miraculously, I connected with the ball. I was so startled at first that I just stood there. Then someone on the bench shouted, run! So like Forrest Gump, I ran. I galumped around first base and watched as the ball sailed out into center field, bounced off the fence and fell out over the home run side. And as I rounded third, I soaked in my glory as I stampeded toward home plate, arms raised high, making a referee signal for a touchdown because I didn't know the difference. You know, Bob determined that in this game, he wasn't going to go out the way that he usually did. It didn't matter being perfect. He was going to go out swinging. And that's my encouragement to you. As we leave here and we think about the gifts that God has given us, I want to challenge you. Let's go out swinging. doesn't matter if we hit a home run. It doesn't matter if the ball just kind of dribbles in front of us. Just do something. Think about what has God asked you to do? What has he gifted you for? And I'm going to ask you, like as you're walking out and you're thinking, okay, what can I do? Let me tell you, children's ministry, babies need to be loved. They need somebody to sit on a chair and just rock them. So a mom can sit in service and hear the gospel and hear hope. Our older kids, our youth, um, elementary and younger, they need to hear that Jesus loves them. And they need to hear now, before it's too late, you don't have to be perfect. We need the camera. We need the tech guys up there. If you love talking to people, information center, resource center, ushers. In this church this church alone there's so many places for every one of us to say I don't have to be perfect I'm going to go out swinging I want to use my gifts for God so I want to ask you today just think about that and if you say hey that's me I can do it then find one of the staff members or find somebody that looks like they might know what they're doing and say hey where do I sign up how do I swing would you bow your heads and let's pray 
Lord Jesus, thank you so much. It is such a privilege to be part of your kingdom and to know that we don't have to be perfect. In fact, nobody's perfect, only Jesus. And so, Lord God, we put aside that desire for being just right, just the right time. We put aside the desire for perfect and we ask instead to walk in love, to walk in the excellence of the gifts that you've gave us and to walk in the confidence of being able to use your gifts to further your kingdom. And so, Lord God, with everything that's in us, we offer ourselves to you and we give back to you the gifts that you've given us. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, Amen.